always too eager for the future, we pick up bad habits of expectancy. Something is always approaching. Every day till then we say, watching from a bluff, the tiny, clear, sparkling armada of promises draw near. How slow they are, and how much time they waste, refusing to make haste. Yet still they leave us holding wretched stalks of disappointment, for, though nothing balks each big approach, leaning with brasswork prinked, each rope distinct, flagged, and the figurehead with golden tits arching our way, it never anchors. It's no sooner present than it turns to past. Welcome to Cop On Podcast, you you sparkling joy bud. My name's Owen, and you've just heard two and a half stanzas of Next, Please, by probably my favourite poet of all time, Philip Larkin. Do check out his oeuvre if you've even half a moment to spare in these busy, blind, pre-apocalyptic times. Speaking of the apocalypse, Liverpool FC have not won a football match for more than a week. As you know, at Arsenal last weekend, we behaved like a hapless thief, having only come away with a draw. And then, inexplicably, as if football were an unpredictable game, we lost away to Red Star Belgrade on Tuesday night, plunging the whole Liverpool family into a black hole of despair. Helping me to put a chalk line around the carcass of those two games is a lovely Liverpool fan called Linus Lovegaard, who comes from Sweden. Here we are. Okay, my first question uh, for you, Linus. Um, Your Twitter name is at LFCChamp18 underscore 19, which is a Twitter handle name that I absolutely love for its optimism. After last night's horrific performance uh, against Red Star Belgrade, and after Saturday's disappointing draw uh, away at Arsenal, are you still confident about the Champ1819 Twitter name? Well, it's interesting. I'm obviously still hopeful. I, I think we still can win the league, but I think we need to change up some things. I, I think Klopp needs to sort of realize that the way they're playing right now isn't working and start to work on that. And if they do that, I think we can still win. What do you think isn't working at the moment? I think it's the link-up play between the midfield and the attack that isn't working. Last year, we had Oxlade-Chamberlain uh, linking up the attack and midfield very well. And now, if we, unless we play Shakiri, we don't really have that link-up between them. And I think that's the problem with us... Cr- scoring more goals because we can see when, when we play Shakira we're more optimistic in attack and it, it works very well uh, yes I kind of agree yeah it's, it's sort of uh, yeah we're missing that sort of spark that creative um, bit of guile a bit of magic in midfield yes I would agree that's uh, that's one of our problems at the moment but it is funny to be talking about problems when it's a really good start to the season um, the problem is that City uh, and Chelsea 
are two incredible teams. And I've had this horrible sort of, you know, nightmarish thought in the back of my mind that we could go the whole season in the league unbeaten and still not win the league this year. Um, am I being paranoid? No, no, definitely not. I think Chelsea are very surprisingly, but very good. You could argue that they have the best midfield in the league, but then we have City, and you can't really argue against anything at City. But yeah, that's very possible. City, if it's if it's possible, look even better than they did last year. And I think they have one more like uh, one more point now than they had last year too. I think they they have better stats now than they did last year at least. I know the goal difference is way higher now. No. That's depressing, isn't it? But okay. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, their hats off to them, really, because they are a, you know, a sensational football team. But it's getting a bit boring uh, seeing them at the top all the time. All right, let's uh, let's uh, let's uh, go on to the horror of uh, yesterday, the the absolute debacle, the monstrosity of a game that was yesterday. Uh, at Red Star Belgrade. Let's start from the beginning, the starting lineup. Um, to me, this team, obviously Allison at the back, Trent, Matip, Van Dyke, and Robertson, uh, Vinalda, Milner, Lalana, Mane, Salah, and Sturridge. For me, it's like the reserves. When you play Lalana, Matip and Sturridge, it's almost like a League Cup game. Um, I don't like these players. Uh, well, I don't like Lalana. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'm very honest because I'm very annoyed. But I think Lalana is... Oof. When Do you remember he attacked someone in the under-23 match and he got a red card? Did you hear about that? Yeah, yeah. I heard about that. I haven't... Seen, seen the situation or anything, but I, I have heard that, and the, that feels more like uh, Lalana right now. He's he looks pretty like, frustrated and doesn't really do a lot except lose the ball. Well, I see. I disagree. I would say even with the ball, he's too slow. He's too plodding. He 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 passes backwards a lot. Uh, attacks break down they broke down with him almost every time he got a yellow card he was lucky not to get sent off and for me he was the obvious problem um, in that starting lineup anyway uh, and I think the reason he got so annoyed and frustrated in the under 23 match was that he couldn't really handle under 23 level he wasn't having a good match uh, at that level, so why bring him into the Champions League? I was thinking that before kickoff. Um, how were you feeling before kickoff when you saw the starting lineup? Well, I think even with this team, we should be able to beat Red Star. That's what I'm going to start off with. But I feel like Klopp is desperate for getting the Lalana that I think it was two seasons ago uh, when Lalana was quite good for us, one of our better players. But that because then he was quite creative and. Uh, he was quite well good at that, but now it just feels he he wants to have that creative player. But obviously, since we didn't have Shakiri, he he tries Lalana in that role, and it for me isn't working. I think if we act, I think if he had actually wanted a more creative player, should have he should have played Keda, but he might not have been fit enough. That's true. Or he could do something funky with uh, Firmino, putting Firmino there with Sturridge up top. Would I don't know. 
Um, what did you think about Sturridge coming into the starting lineup? Well, I, I really like Sturridge. May not so much for his footballing ability these days, but just because I, because it's Sturridge, I really like him. So I think, and this season he, ha- he has been very good, at least at the beginning. He's not gotten that much playtime towards the end now. But, uh, so, yeah, I was a bit concerned because I think Firmino is definitely our best player uh, at striker and uh, he uh, exemplifies the club tactic, the high pressing really well. At least uh, that's how uh, I, I see it. So I, I'm, I was a bit concerned about that because he feels a bit more lazy, if you want to call it, a bit more... Uh, selfish with the ball and you could see that during the game he tried to dribble a lot when he probably should have just let the ball go yeah I think so I mean he missed that he missed that glorious chance didn't he Sturridge after just a a few minutes in the first half Um, but I was surprised he was taken off at half time he had another another situation where he should have passed it and he he didn't Uh, Mane made a great run behind him and he, he could have played played a pass to Manny who was on the edge of the six-yard box. The pass was on, basically, and Sturridge chose to shoot with his right foot and dragged it wide. But still, I wanted Sturridge to stay on the field, and I think they were in front. They were two goals in front, so they were obviously going to park the bus. So we needed as many good attacking players on on the field as possible. Um, Would you have kept him on, Sturridge? Yeah, I I would definitely have kept him on. I I think Sturridge is really good at uh, doing exactly that when the opponent is sitting quite low. Like we saw Chelsea, he could just come up with a piece of magic, and we really needed that. I think if I think he should have taken off Lalana. I said that during halftime. I think he definitely should have taken off Lalana. I kind of saw why he did, he wanted to keep him. On. For me, it looked like he by taking off Trent and putting on Gomez, it felt like we were moving to more, towards a three-at-the-back formation. At least it looked like that during the game. And I can see wanting Lallana in the, in the midfield then, but I still think keeping Sturridge on and putting Firmino behind Sturridge, Salah and uh, Mane would have been the better choice. And I'm also a bit, uh, a bit confused why he put Mane out to the right and then had Salah in the middle, because I, I, I don't like Mane out to the right. I I feel like he he's way better on the left side where he can cut in on his right foot and play passes either uh, into the middle or out to Robertson on the left flank. They yeah they seem to have a good understanding down the down the left uh, Manny but yeah he he looks like he'd be a great striker and I don't like Salah playing centrally either he just I mean he's tried it a few times this season Klopp and we've been under pressure. And for me, it hasn't really worked. Um, but yes, yeah, I agree with Sadio Mane. What did you, what did you make of him? Uh, not just yesterday, but uh, you know, in the last few games, Sadio Mane. Yeah, I think uh, against Red Star, pretty much everyone was woeful, and I thought Mane was too. He, he, it felt like he was instead of just trying to cross the ball into the box, he tried. He took three steps forward and had an had an opponent straight in front of him before passing, so it just ended up hitting the opponent and going out. But I think he he's that creative player. He's a pretty he's very good with the ball, has very good agility and he can just sprint away from an opponent from standing still. And I think 
against uh, Arsenal, I really liked him. And what was the game before Arsenal? It was the uh, right. It was Cardiff. Cardiff. I really liked him in yeah. that game. Yeah, yeah. It seems seems so long ago since we were banging four goals in, doesn't it? But yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, I think I think he was actually pretty good yesterday. I mean, if you watch the highlights back. Um, He's sort of creating most of the highlights, Manny. Um and he's he's a funny player. He's like um he's always always a danger, even when he's not in the game, if you know what I mean. He has long periods, about twenty minutes sometimes, where you just don't really see him. But but that's because they haven't got the ball to him. <laughs> as soon as the ball goes anywhere near him, I think he he makes things happen all the time. Um, so I thought he was actually, actually not bad yesterday. Um, yeah, compared to some of them. Um, Joel Matip, is he rubbish or is that cruel? Yeah, I don't think he's rubbish. I just think since he hasn't played that much this season, he, I don't, I don't think he's played many minutes at all. So I don't think he's quite used to our new system, if you want to call it that the more defensive quite rubbish in attack and midfield kind of way so I think he he wasn't quite used to that and I I think otherwise I think he played uh, decently yesterday he wasn't great but then none of our players were yeah I'm being a little bit harsh I mean Matip if you look at the stats on whoscored.com um, Matip uh, was actually According to them, our man of the match with a 7.1 rating. 7.1. I, th- I think it's a bit generous, but I think he was okay yesterday. Yeah, I think he, he did all right. Um, but again, in the Champions League, it's it's like a League Cup idea. Is when you play your 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 reserves that need match fitness, or you do it when you're three or four nil up against teams like Cardiff perhaps Fulham, and you bring these players on and give them 30 minutes. But uh, I thought that was a really difficult decision uh, yesterday. Some of the stats from the game then, let's talk about those. Apparently we had 23 shots in total. Um, They had 10. Um, Do you remember 23 shots? I don't. Well, I don't remember 23 shots, but I... I'm not sure what they uh, count as shots because we had a we had a lot of like failed shots that is hit the man in front of us or failed crosses that may have looked like shots because I don't I did not see 23 shots I I don't think I saw a single shot on target during the whole game but I think we probably had some uh, I was thinking the same thing I mean I I do remember Mohamed Salah on 70 minutes trying a sort of spec long shot that was uh, you know it's a fairly decent save but a save that you would expect the goalkeeper to make uh, that was on 70 minutes that was our first shot on target really we, we managed four in total we actually hit the woodwork twice which I'd sort of forgotten about once Salah which was the outside of the post and Robertson also had a deflected cross that hit the crossbar I think we were a little bit unlucky in hindsight in terms of our attacking play. On another day, Sturridge would have scored early. Then the whole game, it would have been different. But I think we we created decent chances. Um, apparently, we had three shots in the six-yard box. 
um, and only three outside of the box. But four shots on target from 23 could be a lack of confidence, which is very worrying. Uh, or it could just be one of those games. It, we dominated possession. We had 639 passes to their 258. Uh, eight dribbles each. Um, and I just think some of these stats... They, they, they tell the story of, of a game in which Liverpool were the better team and they dominated, but it, it didn't feel like that, did it? It felt like Red Star had all of the gusto, they had all of the momentum. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. Uh, a, lot, a big part of that is probably they, they had amazing fans. You could, you could, I don't think I heard a single Liverpool fan during the whole game. And I... the. Biggest problem for me during this game was our midfield was so bad because we had a lot of passes, but a lot was like one yard passes to the guy besides or backward passes to the centre back. We didn't try a lot of passes through their midfield to our forwards, which you can't score if you don't play those. So I think we almost played we called mailman football. I don't think I don't, I'm not sure what you call it, but we we like. We walked with the ball to each other and just left it. We didn't, we didn't try to carve them open with our pass, passing like we have in previous. I love that. I love that expression, mailman football. That's what you call it in Swed- in Swedish, is it? Yeah, we, we use the Swedish words, but yeah, yeah, that's, that's, <laughs> that's brilliant. One, one way we call it. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, very good. Um, but yeah, I mean. It's very difficult. Once we go 2-0 down, I mean, the first goal from a corner, a free header, I watched it back. I'd blocked it out of my mind, you know. I was so disgusted with that defending. To give their best header of the ball, clearly their tallest and most aggressive header of the ball, um, a free header. I mean, Klopp after the game, did you see his post-match interview? No, fortunately, uh, after the game, I was just too depressed. I didn't even watch the games after. I just went, watched Netflix and... <laughs> okay, I understand. Uh, but uh, Klopp, um, Klopp said uh, that they'd been working on stopping... They'd blocked Roberto Firmino's run. And I think Firmino was supposed to be the guy on the guy who scored, marking the guy who scored. Um, and But Klopp said a strange thing as well. He said they tried it with uh, two or three corners before. So if they've tried that for two or three corners, do something about it. Put another man on him or something. I don't know. I found it very, um, very disappointing goal uh, to concede. And then the second goal uh, is a great goal. It was a really good goal. Some Awful play by... It was James Milner uh, who gave it away in midfield that led to the break, but pff, he finished it superbly. So credit to him for that. Yeah, I, I just wanted to mention uh, one thing about the second their second goal. Yeah, I have seen a lot of Liverpool fans, on, especially Twitter, like thinking Alisson made a very big mistake there and he should have saved it. I, uh, I used to play goalkeeper and I can say like that goal with the amount of uh, spin that had like it's so much harder to actually say that than uh, it looks because it's a very ho- hard hit ball, so it, you don't have a lot of time. And when the like when the ball goes towards the goal, it's 
it's so hard to actually get yourself to that ball. So I don't I don't think Ellison could have done a lot of things there. And I'm I got a bit upset about some of our Liverpool fans and other fans too calling for like saying he's a big flop and that he should have saved that. I a hundred percent agree. Yeah, it's I mean what can you what can you do as a goalkeeper? I think that was that was pretty unstoppable. I suppose they're watching it in slow motion, these people, and they think that the ball actually travels in slow motion. Uh, but no, it was a really well struck shot, right? You know, bent into the into the side of the goal. You can't do much about that as a keeper. Um, so yeah, no, bravo to them. Uh, so yeah, okay. Low block teams. How with with low block teams? How the heck are we supposed to break them down? We have to play more risky passes. We played a lot of passes just sideways. The I've heard like the way they say Henderson always plays the ball, which I don't agree with. But just pa- passing it sideways, sideways, not wanting to risk putting a ball in, like cutting them open with a, with a pass. And I think that's very much up to us not having a Coutinho type player or Shakiri type player that can play these balls to our attackers in a clever way because we just lack the creativity and I think that's what we needed in this game, a Shakiri type player, a, a little magician on the ball that can play these passes. Do you agree with Shakiri being left at home? In hindsight, I would have liked Shakiri in the game, but I do, I do agree with Klopp there. I think the focus of the game would have been shifted to Shakiri, and I, I don't think he, like Shakiri himself, would have been a, very good in the game. Like if you have one player getting booed by the by an entire stadium, he's gonna feel that. And I, I, I think for Shakiri's safety and uh, the game, uh, the focus of the game, I think it was the right call, but. Right now, I don't feel I don't feel that way because I think we would have needed him. Yes, yeah, um, but it, it, again, it seemed a strange decision to me that if he'd made that decision, and I agree, I think it it was the right decision to leave him at home. And I thought Klopp fielded his the questions about that in the pre-match press conference brilliantly, saying it's football should be separate from from politics. I I do agree with that as much as possible, um, but. If you're going to leave him out, why didn't he start him against Arsenal? He's in great form. He's uh, creating a lot for us, and he gave him twenty minutes only, or against Arsenal. Um, didn't make sense to me. No, I, I, I think the plan was to start Shakiri in that game before we got Lovren injured. I think our plan was to play the four-two-three-one with Gomez at right back and Lovren at centre back. But then Lovren got injured and. Uh, Klopp didn't want to take the risk with Matip, so he went with a 4-3-3 without Shakiri, with Trent at right back, and hoped that would work. I, it worked recently, re- relatively well, but not. I, I think the plan was always to play the 4-3-1, which I think is our best formation. I think it made us reminisce back to the last season where we play, play very good attacking football and press, and with the 4-3-3, it just feels like we're figured out. Like our attacking play isn't as good because everyone knows how we attack, and the four-two-three-one, they don't know how we attack, and that gives us the edge. I, oh yeah, that's a very good point. Yeah, absolutely. To to mix it up, um, um, let's talk a bit about the the Arsenal match. One-one, uh, a point away at the Emirates. Um, 
is always a good thing. That's what Klopp was saying. It's always a good thing um, to get a point away uh, at Arsenal. It didn't feel good to me, I have to say, because of the context of a 100-point Manchester City. Um, what do you think? Uh, no, I totally agree. I think, obviously, it's not a bad result. It's one, one, it's a point at the Emirates against a very good Arsenal side. But, like, I think we could have scored a ton of goals. I think uh, Van Dijk could have or should have maybe ha- had a hat-trick. He had very good sh- chances. And just like the Red Star game, the margins weren't at our side. But you could say the same for Arsenal. They had a very... A lot of very good opportunities as well. So I think 1-1 was a very modest score for that game. And I'm obviously happy that we got the point. We're still unbeaten. But I really would... I really... At the beginning of the season and even now, I thought we would get the three points. And we looked on course to get it. But then I think it was Trent that pushed up a bit too high that allowed Lacazette to run in behind. And I think Allison probably should have gotten back in the goal when... Uh, like I said, turns, but he has to get out uh, at the first ball, and then he feels like he don't have time to get back into the goal for the uh, shot. But so that's it's just it is what it is. It's annoying, but it's still decent. Okay, well I like that. I mean, and then you can always cling to things like uh, you know City haven't played you know, as many of their rivals away as we have. And, you know, we still got to play City and we can stay in touching distance But if we keep on winning the games. So, yeah, I mean, there are things that can make me feel a bit better about it. But it's just throwing away a lead. Yeah, like you say, with, with a mistake, lapses of concentration. Trent's not playing well. He was bad against Arsenal. Don't think he was great last night. Um, he ended up getting substituted, of course. And um, is that just the fact that he's young and he's therefore inconsistent? Or is he tired? Or does he need a break? What do you think? Of course, when you're young, you're not going to be as consistent and as when you get older, you have a bit more experience. I, but I, last season, I felt he was very consistent towards the end when he actually got to play almost every game because Gomez got injured. But I, I I'm... A bit on the fence with uh, Trent. I think he's a really good right back. And what I feel is now he's putting too much pressure on himself. Because last season he could kind of do his thing without really caring. Because no one really knew who he was. Unless you were a Liverpool fan. Because he didn't really have that much star power. And he wasn't that known. But now he played at the World Cup. He got to the Champions League final. And... And so, and now he's got more pressure on him because now everyone know know who he is. And I think that may be a psychological problem that he needs to get over. He needs to start playing more freely and not be so scared to make mistakes. Mm, yeah, very good point. Yeah, it could be something about yeah being in the spotlight more, playing you know being in regularly in the England squad, for example. And yeah, maybe he does need to to get out of the spotlight. Come and have a holiday. Come and. Come and, uh, I don't know, come and meet up for a coffee in Paris, Trent. You're welcome. Um, But yes, I'm slightly disappointed with him. Um, Another one is Bobby. Bobby Firmino. He's he's jaded. He looks like a... um, He looks like a... 
uh, a monk whose robes are are frayed and are about to expose his private parts. I don't know. He just looks tired and and not on it. Uh, I'm again. Am I being harsh? He hasn't looked like uh, as good as he did last year. And I think part of that is, like I said, with our whole team, we're kind of figured out. Uh, Bobby lost and like to drop drop back into the almost the 10 role, but a bit further forward. And that space isn't as free for him as it was before. And because we're not pressing that high, we're more, a bit more pragmatic, not really free-flowing attacking football. He's also playing in the 10 in the 4-2-3-1. I don't think he's probably adopting more to its new formation, to the new system. I hope it's not a new system forever, but yeah, adapting to the new way he has to play because he's gotten more figured out by the defenders and midfield that don't let him drop back and press as high. I think, yeah, that's part of it, isn't it? Anyway, so after the Fulham match, of course, uh, there's another Frickin' international break, another one. And uh, I've been thinking about this, and, and I'm actually almost sure that I would rather be teabagged by Donald Trump than wait another two weeks to see which of our players gets injured and how many of our dreams can be ruined by this idiotic non-contest that is international football between the major competitions. Uh, what do you think about international football? Being a Swede, we don't really have the best players anymore. Like, when I when I was born, we had quite a good team. We had Larsson, we had Lundberg, we had a, a lot of good players. But now we have a good squad. Like, not individually, but as we saw at the World Cup and before the World Cup during the qualifiers, we can beat pretty much anyone, but it's not fun watching international football when you're supporting Sweden. We play like we lose against Slovenia, then we beat Italy, then we lose against uh, Bosnia, and it's just inconsistent and not really fun. Exactly. I mean, the Nations League, it sounds like some kind of Nazi idea. I don't know. Anyway, um, our next game is against Fulham before then, before the torture of an international break and everybody saying every Liverpool fan that you know I've seen on Twitter and heard on podcasts and you know seen on online they they all say we should go full strength against Fulham and of course we have to after a draw and a loss in our last two games we need to play our best team problem is Linus what is our best team obviously Allison in goal Tell me the rest. Defence, midfield, attack. What would your lineup be against Fulham? My lineup against Fulham, it's a bit of a weird one, and it's probably not going to happen because I don't think every player is used to these positions. But it would obviously be Allison in goal. And it would be Robertson, Van Dijk, Gomez. And I would play uh, Trent because I think this is the kind of opposition we need him against because. I think we're going to go very attacking. We need to smash a team to get our psych- like psychological edge back. And for for that, I think I think we want uh, either Fabinho or Vinaldum, uh, besides Naby Keita in a four-two-three-one as the defensive midfielders with Shakiri in front of them, and kind of 
pivot between the 4-2-3-3 and 4-2-3-1 where uh, Keita kind of run, runs up and down like the box-to-box midfielder that he kind of is and Fabinho dropping in as or Van Alden dropping in as, as a deep-lying midfielder depending on how we play. And I, w- I want Bobby, Mane and Salah up front to really put the pressure on Fulham because they have the worst defense in the league and our defense should be good enough to hold off their attack even if we play very, very aggressive and offensive football. Sounds great. Yeah, that sounds like my uh, my team too. If Kater's back, yeah, Kater, Shakiri, and our usual front three um, should be very good. But I would play Sturridge instead of Firmino. Send Firmino to the Seychelles. Tell him, you know, have a break. Have a nice cocktail on the beach. See you after the international break because, for me, he's just uh, you know he's a shadow of what he was last last year, and you can't blame him. He's played sixty something like sixty nine games in the last year, more than any uh, any other player, and uh, so I'd give him a rest. Um, but then, if Klopp starts him, I won't be unhappy. Um, Linus, we've got to wrap it up. I'm afraid he's been absolutely brilliant. Uh, talking to you. Tell us a, a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Yeah, sure. I'm just a normal 16-year-old from uh, Sweden uh, in a small town outside of Stockholm called Åkersberga. And I just tweet out my opinions and I I see a lot of stupid opinions that I really don't agree with. And I think the reactionary Twitter, I, I, really, I really despise that. But I, I try to calm down when I'm on Twitter and like stay out of the things that made me really mad that sometimes I get quite quite angry at things on Twitter. But yeah, I'm 16-year-old just trying to become a historian, basically, and support Liverpool always. Mm, great stuff from Linus there. Such a joy to speak to a, a young man with such a, such a level head, such great, great opinions about our beloved Reds. Thank you so much again to Linus Loveguard at... LFC champ 18 underscore 19 on Twitter. Unfortunately, that's more or less all we have time for for this episode. Um, it's always a pleasure to hear from LFC fans around the world. So please do get in touch with us uh, via either coponpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at coponpodcast. Go on, do it, do it. Copon will always be free. For you, you delicious tart. But for a chance to win some wonderful prizes by supporting us for as little as a measly dollar a month, please go to patreon.com stroke podcast for more details about that. One final thing, as we await the golden-titted ship of three points against Fulham, Uh, I will actually really post a packet of hobnobs to anyone who's not from Sweden who can successfully, without cheating, googling it or whatever, tweet me the correct spelling of the small village in Sweden that Linus calls home. It's a lovely name and I'm going to play it again for your pleasure. Go and get a pen. Try and write this down. Good luck with that. 
And thanks a billion, zillion, trillion, quadrillion for listening. Before we start, I just want to say an extra special, absolutely super duper, scrumpy, lovely, delicious thank you to our latest Patreon supporter, Adam Marshall. Uh, thank you so much for getting involved supporting Cop On Podcast. Glad you appreciate the show. If anybody else would like to get involved, you can win prizes by doing so. You go to patreon.com forward slash Cop On Podcast. And, uh, of course, I will read out your name at the start of uh, the next episode. But, uh, you know, also you, you actually have the chance to win stuff. Um, so... Uh, thank you to Adam Marshall, and uh, I, I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome to episode 15 of Cop On Podcast, you puffy pom-poms of glee. Of course, we're in the middle of another stupid uh, international break. Uh, and to quote the great French poet Charles Baudelaire, it feels a bit like this. Yesterday. Now, tomorrow, forever, a dry desert of boredom, an oasis of despair. But before we consider spooning our own eyeballs out and then eating them, I'm delighted to bring you our latest conversation about our sparkly, spangly reds, this time with an LFC fan called Jamie Whitby Coles, whose life has more variety than Lady Gaga's bikini collection. Not only does Jamie regularly tour Europe and America playing drums with the truly excellent music group called This Is The Kit, he has also appeared in one of the biggest Bollywood films ever, which is called Lagan, L-A-G-A-A-N. He was also a professional cricketer, and sometimes he even does some painting and decorating in Bristol, where he is now based. So, I really hope you enjoy the the chat we have, and uh, yeah, keep listening to Cop On Podcast. Feel free to share us or get in touch with us, coponpodcast at gmail.com. Let's talk about Fulham. Let's start when we talk about Fulham. Our lineup on that day, we, we, we went for a 4-2-3-1, of course. That's what uh, Mr. Klopp chose with Alisson in goal. The usual back four. Vinaldum and Fabinho holding. And then basically four interchanging attacking players with Shakiri, Firmino, Mane and Salah. What did you make of that lineup? I thought it was a good lineup. I was pleased uh, that Shakiri was starting. He seems to be in good form, and I was also pleased to see Fabinho starting again, or Fabinho. I'm not sure how you say it, but I think it's good that he's getting game time. I think he needs it to get up to speed with the with the Premiership, the defence as usual. Trent Alexander-Arnold, despite his kind of dip in form. He didn't have a great game against Fulham either, but he was also up against Sessignon of Fulham, and who was very fast, and in which case he, he had a better game than I'm giving him credit for. More generally, as the first half was unfolding, 
Uh, what do you think of uh, how we started the match? I think they they started okay, a bit slowly for my for my liking, but maybe that was to do with the the new lineup. Um, but there just seems to be you know the the continuing trend of missed chances. I think there were opportunities early early on, and the usual thing happened of. You know, whether it was Firmino or Salah, missing opportunities for an early goal because games are always easier for Liverpool, I think, generally, if they score an early goal and then they can bring the other team on and then go for it a bit more. Well, that's true. I mean, just to jog your memory a little bit, some stats from the game, right? Fulham had eight shots, but they actually had six shots in the first half. They had three shots on target. We had 21 shots in total with seven on target. Uh, Possession, um, we absolutely dominated 73%, but possession doesn't really mean much, does it? Um, uh, Pass accuracy, that's important, 87%. And they were at 70%. We had 11 fouls to their 9, which is a fabulous result for Liverpool. I love it when we win the fouls. Uh, and we had one yellow card and they had one yellow card. We had two offsides and they had five. They had six shots in that first half. And I think we were lucky. The big talking point, of course, is Mitrovic. Heading the ball into the goal. Have you seen it back, Jamie? I have seen it back. And it, yes, it was very touch and go. Uh, I think it was probably... I'm not sure. It was. I think it was so 50-50, even VAR would have struggled to have decided the result. But one would have thought it sh- the goal should have stood, possibly. But of course, it didn't. And then... Then, as you've rightly said, Trent Alexander had a, had a good pass out from Allison, despite the still apparently moving ball, which of course isn't allowed. So that was another reason why the goal was contentious. But then Trent played a lovely through ball for Salah, and he was off, like he so often does. And lovely finish. He's good, isn't he, Mo Salah? He's great. He's had another slow start to the season. I think that's fine. I don't see what the all the problem is with with that. I hope he kicks on a little bit for the team's sake. And he still misses a few chances, but he's great. Yeah, I love him. Well, I'll just uh, bring up some stats for the season for Salah. He's got... Mo Salah has got eight goals this season and four assists from 17 matches in total... 1,375 minutes of football, uh, which is good from a winger. I don't know what people want. Um, he's going to keep banging them in. He's just getting into form. He's just finding his his mojo in terms of his finishing. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, and it's his pressing as well that I enjoy. He's he's always he's a he's a menace. He's he's like he's like that 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 bully in school when they you know just see that you've got the best top trump and you know they I they make a beeline right for you and they bosh you on the head and then they see who else has got the best top trump and then he goes and he attacks that person as well and uh, you know I think it's great 
And he's a marvellous player and a credit to the club. Um, Shakiri, uh, what do you like about Shakiri? You said you were happy that he started. Why? I mean, what does he bring to us? He's got a bit of ingenuity. I think he's got a good pass on him. He can see a good pass. He can hit a good free kick. Just that bit of creativity that our kind of midfield lacks. He's a good he's a good in between man. So he he can be the guy to kind of if you had you know Coutinho could never be replaced, but he's a he's a pretty good guy for that. I think. I mean, they're big boots to fill. Um, if you pardon the pun, I mean he can't replace Coutinho, can he? No, of course he can't. But I would say he's probably the best, next best thing for us at the moment with the different, slightly different style, I would say, that the Reds have employed. As Klopp has discussed, less of the heavy press and just, you know, taking a bit more time. And I think he's probably the best option at the moment that can, that can help with on the assists count and, you know, set up Salah and possibly Mane, you know, just just the guy who can get in between the lines, fill the gaps, you know, that kind of thing. Yes, we've missed that, definitely, yes. Yes, totally. Um, but I, I love him. I mean, I think he's, uh, you know, he does have many nicknames, this is true, and, and a lot of them are not uh, particularly uh, um, flattering. The latest one was the, the Toblen Gnome or something silly like that. Um, I don't... I don't condone this kind of behaviour. He likes to be called XS, that being, uh, you know, they being his initials and uh, perhaps half of his favourite band. Uh, and I'm going to go with that. XS, uh, the the Swiss um, lovingly refer to him as the Power Cube. So I'm going to call him XS, the Power Cube, uh, with all my respect. Um I think he's great. He's a, you know, he's he's uh, he's a, he's an odd-looking character, and uh, I like odd-looking characters. Like, you know, I identify with them, and uh, he's, uh, you know, he's doing us proud. Let's just say, um, Andy Robertson, uh, discuss. Andy Robertson, what what hasn't been said already? What a star! I think he's just. Amazing and um, up and down the wing. His defending is, I think, is excellent. But also, he can whip in such a good cross. And I wonder what the stats are for him and Salah because I wonder how many goals that he's provided for Salah from that left wing. Really, yeah, fantastic player. Fantastic, one of my favourites. And I think he was, he was, I think he was my man of the match. I think against Fulham, he's just non-stop and. Yeah, I think he's become a real fan favourite. What was better, Robertson's beautiful cross or Shakiri's finish? I would say both of equal quality. Absolutely lovely goal. Fantastic cross, big booming cross, a big arc on it from that left wing first time. And it it came in and then Shakiri on the slow motion, it kind of came off his, kind of just above his ankle and... Uh, the lower part of his shin, but the control that he got from that was amazing, and it just curled into that bottom corner. Yes, I'd say I'd say of equal quality. I disagree. Sorry, <gasps> I, I know. 
uh, sorry, I think Shakiri's finish was of extraordinary quality. Um, I think he made it look easy. And the ball was great. I mean, it was a great ball. It's like the perfect sort of cross, you know. Uh, you know, it, you can't really improve upon a ball to the back post from the from where he was quite deep. Uh, I mean, it's absolutely wonderful ball. But the finish, the control, you know, how many times in your life have you seen that go wide, go over, or just, you know, go right into the ground or, you know, sort of scuffed but the timing was inch perfect. The placement was wonderful. And uh, I think the finish was harder to do than the cross. So he edges it. He edges it. 9.5 for the cross, 10 for the finish. But that's just my opinion. Uh, what can I say? Andy Robertson, what a player. He's got three assists already this season, which is... Uh, which is very nice. He's also had a couple of shots on target and a couple of shots off target. Um, and uh, he just keeps bombing up and down, doesn't he? He's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a joy to watch. Um, here's a bit of a trivia question for you, because we're talking about uh, Shakiri, who's probably my man of the match, probably, just because he's got that, that little spark of wizardry uh, around his his power-cubed body. And, uh, you know, Robertson, your man of the match, totally understand that. But here's, as a trivia question, which player provided most the most key passes during that match? Oh, what a good question. I wonder. Um, I wonder who that was. I I hope it was Fabinho. I don't think... Fabinho, I don't think it was... I don't think it could have been Mane because he was quite in and out. It was actually a player who I forgot played, Bobby Firmino, who surprisingly, I think, got got five key passes. So that's a pass that leads to a a, a chance or leads to an assist, if you like, but, you know, a pass that breaks the line that leads to some kind of goal-scoring opportunity. He had five of them. Uh, and then I watched the highlights back and I was looking out for it. And it's absolutely true. Understat.com didn't lie. Uh, it, he's actually, he's getting a bit of a bad, bad, uh, a bad rap this season. I mean, he's he's been a little bit, I don't know, I called him jaded myself. But uh, he's actually still doing the business if you, if you were to look at the, the stats. But there you go. Yeah, Firmino, of course. I mean, he's without doubt one of my favourites. He has been slightly under the weather this season, possibly because of the World Cup, who knows. But he still made five key passes. That's fantastic. And it reminded me of your observation, I think, in the pre in last week's podcast, where you compared him to a monk in tattered robes revealing his private parts. Yes. Uh, did I keep that in? I thought I'd edited that out. But uh, yes, uh, yes, I did compare uh, him to uh, a monk whose, whose robes were, were fraying, uh, I seem to remember, and that uh, he was about to... He's, so he's playing within himself because he's trying not to re reveal his, uh, his private parts. Um, but yes, no, it turns out he's, he's playing like a, like a dangerous monk 
with fraying robes, which I didn't realise until I checked understat.com. So thanks to them for that. Um, yes, so that second half performance, in my opinion, was was very good. I mean, I did uh, notice the difference. I thought in the first half we were a bit sluggish, but uh, it was 12 o'clock, so that's fine. Uh, so let's just move on to the to the to the general season then uh we mentioned it before in terms of the news Sturridge's betting accusation uh what do you what do you reckon to the to the whole palaver yes it seems like a, i mean i haven't i don't know if there's any more news on it but i just read one report saying that he of course said that he'd never betted on football but then the accusation is perhaps a passing of information from him i i'm a f- big fan of Sturridge, so i hope that they are just accusations and I'd, yeah i'd be really surprised if you know he's he's gone down that route of things well from what i've read apparently the story uh emanated i can't remember where i read this so uh i'm not sure if it's a reliable source but um there was a guy uh, who was, uh, they, they referred to him in this article as a blue-collar worker, which is very Orwellian, and he uh, um, put a lot of money, a five-figure sum, on Sturridge moving to Inter Milan. And then there was some kind of investigation as to why this guy, who didn't have much money, was betting so much on Sturridge moving to Inter Milan. But of course, if you're going to, give somebody a tip off for a transfer like that and then they put loads of money on it surely you would be it would be wiser to tell them the truth uh <laughs> because he obviously he didn't go to Inter Milan and if I was a footballer and you know I would hope to know where I'd be playing uh um so yeah I don't know what the story is exactly no nobody does uh but um I just hope, really hope, now that he seems to have got his fitness back and he's got his 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 pizzazz and his, you know, the fire that he's uh, been you know, somewhat, you know, striving to, to rekindle uh, over the past couple of seasons. And now it's back and it would just be, you know, so heartbreaking for him if anything was to happen because of this accusation. So I'm going to stick by him. And I'm sure you will too. And um, you know, hopefully that, uh, that it will all blow away. This uh, this story. There was another story. I don't know if you saw it, Jamie, about um, the the potential sale by our owners, Fenway Sports Group, uh, for you know, Liver- they're thinking of putting Liverpool on the market for around two billion dollars or pounds not even sure a lot of money um obviously i've got no idea if there's truth in it nor does anyone else really um but hypothetically speaking what sort of owner would you like at liverpool if fsg were to sell gosh oh i've got no idea i think that i think the owners have been great i mean they've done they've They've built the new stadium. They've provided enormous amounts of cash <clears throat> for the new signings. And I think they've been great. I'd be very surprised if... Because, 
was it is it the Boston Red Sox I think that they yes. own and I think they've had them a long time they've become very successful I think they've just won another World Series um, so I I would I would hope that they're in it for the long haul and I've got no idea if a new owner came in I don't know I don't know what that would look like in this day and age you know well it's someone with two two billion pounds uh, or dollars for a start so I mean you know you're you're probably looking at if it's not a consortium another sort of consortium that it would be you know a mega rich what do they call them in the tabloids a mega rich oil baron or something like that oligarch that's it yes I would say I prefer a more traditional who was the guy was it David Moores wasn't it before did he he sold them to the the first American duo um, before we we were lucky enough for the Fenway Sports to take over. So yes, I'm I'm very happy with them, and I think they've been great. So long may that continue. Let's talk about Man City then. Talking about uh, rich clubs, um, they are, when you think about it, the best Premier League team in history, having got a hundred points, way more than anyone else. Uh, last season um i'm still in two minds I, I i looked at a comparison between man city and liverpool this season today i've got it right in front of me uh if you look at for example um goals scored we've scored 23 and they've scored 36 um it's a massive difference attacking wise they're they're insane and they've also conceded only five goals as well as us in, in 12 matches. Their passing accuracy, which I think is a very important stat, is 89%. We're on 85%. So we're not far behind them, but it is quite a big difference. Um, uh, the, everything, are, if you compare the stats, which I'm doing on PremierLeague.com, they are ahead of Liverpool in pretty much everything. Which, about a week ago, was making me sad. But then I listened to the wonderful Anfield rap, and somebody, I can't remember who it was, because I listened to so many shows, my ears are almost bleeding. And somebody made a, a fantastic point, though, which is basically this. If we scrape through getting 1-0 wins, 2-1, 2-0, you know, little wins compared to the, you know, the humdingers that City are getting every single match. Um, we're still going to be two points behind them. And psychologically, that could be a big advantage to us because they could think, well, we've been hammering teams and there's still this... This Liverpool, this Liverpool mosquito buzzing round our ears at night. Can we crack them, Jamie? Or are they just too good? Yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I think it's just a question of hanging in there and staying on their coattails because they're such a good team. And no matter what changes Pep makes, they still, you know, get a, a big result. And I think it is just a question of hanging in there. I think, I, I think possibly Man City desperate for the Champions League. Maybe their focus, if they 
if they have a good run in the Champions League, maybe their focus could could be drawn to that, and therefore the, there might be a chance for Liverpool to keep up with them because they are. I think yeah, I think they're just such a phenomenal team, and they're so you can see that they're. Pep Guardiola's just got them in the perfect spot. They're just playing so well for him. So, yeah, I think it's a question of hanging in there. And who knows, maybe Jürgen is is holding us back for the right moment to explode into a serious amount of form. Well, yeah, I mean, I like it. I like it. Yes, I like that idea that we're, uh, we've still got a long way to go in terms of Im- Im- improving ourselves. And uh, we're a city, they're sort of already on, on top form. But looking at their next five matches, right, they've got, they've got West Ham away, then Lyon away, Bournemouth at home, Watford away, and then Chelsea away on the 8th of December. And I think to have, uh, what is it, one, two, three, four out of the out of the next five matches away from home could tire them out a little bit. Um, and then that Chelsea-Man City match on the 8th of December, I shall be watching that match like, like, a, like a hawk without eyelids. <laughs> yeah, that's a big game. I'd love, I'd love a draw in that game, because Chelsea, of course, have also had a brilliant start. They're looking really good, and yeah, I think the Reds have just got to, just got to keep going, stay steady. I don't mind so much about the performances; just keep getting those wins, and um, yeah, possibly four away games. It just seems that they've got such a good squad. Whatever changes he makes, they just seem to keep on, you know, it doesn't seem to make that much difference to the team. They just keep winning. They keep playing very well. But I think because there's so much room for improvement for Liverpool, I think that's a good thing for us. And so I think I'm feeling very heartened by that. Excellent. Well, let's look at our next games then. Um, after the international break, we've got, we've got Watford away, PSG away. And Everton at home, ooh, before before uh, before Burnley away, and then Bournemouth away. Wow! Again, four away trips out of five, but our task looks a little bit trickier. Uh, Watford, PSG, and Everton—that's all in in the week after the uh, international break. Um, what are your immediate thoughts on those three? Very tricky. I, I've just got this feeling that will remain unbeaten perhaps in the league until the Toffees come across town and teach us a lesson. They seem to be doing pretty well under their new manager, um, who I like. I like Marco Silva, and they seem to be playing well. That's going to be a hard game, as ever, um, even at home, I think. And also, he's got. A, I think he's got quite a good record against Klopp. Watford... I would hope for a positive result there. PSG, also a very tricky game away. Who knows how that how that will go, but we need to win it. So hopefully it'll be all guns blazing. But yes, tricky, tricky. Um, well, with the PSG match, we, we, we don't have to win it. Um, because if we lose, then we have to beat it's much better if we do win it. But if we lose, we have to play uh, Napoli at Anfield and win by two goals. And then we go through anyway. 
um, whatever whatever the result in Paris. But yes, if we win in Paris, um, then PSG are out basically. So that that we could automatically qualify and then relax for the uh, for the Everton game. Um, but if we do lose, then we've got Everton, Burnley, and Bournemouth before playing Napoli at Anfield. So it's all it's all very tricky, very much in the balance. Uh, Watford, Liverpool is the first one away. Have you seen anything of Watford, or not really? I haven't seen much of Watford, but I think they're doing quite well, aren't they? Are they in the top ten? I think. And we, I seem to remember once us. A couple of seasons ago, we lost really heavily to Watford. I remember Adam Bogdan was in goal um, due to injuries, I think, and I think he had a pretty poor game. Even though I like him as a goalkeeper, um, and I've, are they a bit of a bogey team, Watford? I'm not sure. Well, you hang on. I think I, I, I might have I might have food poisoning. Did you say you quite liked Adam Bogdan? <laughs> I did, and it's because he 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 reminds me of a, an actor from an old eighties film with Tom Hanks in called The Burbs, and he he's he looks exactly the same as this sort of character, very strange character that he played, and not Adam Bogdan, so I don't think it was him. But um, yes, I like for some reason I like his I like his appearance and. On a good day, I think he's actually a good goalkeeper. It's just that he doesn't have many of those good days. <laughs> well, OK, as long as it's, you know, primarily for aesthetic reasons and uh, sort of, you know, nostalgia rather than, uh, you know, a goalkeeping ability, because, uh, yes. Um, but, uh, no, good luck to him, Bogdan. I do hope he's having a marvellous season wherever he is. Uh, but no, Watford, yes, they are a bit of a, I don't know, they always give us a good game away when we play away uh, at uh, Vicarage Road, isn't it, their ground? Um, and uh, the last, uh, I, I mean, the one that sticks in the memory was the first game of last season. Uh, yes, that 3-3 draw when we had Mignolet in goal, actually, that day. Uh, but uh, we should have won. But the thing, the big change from that performance is that now... We've still got the same attackers, um, but our defence is just a zillion times better. And those were the kind of results last season that frustrated me so much before Virgil arrived. That, uh, you know, when you score three goals away in the Premier League, you should win every time. There's no excuse to, to, to concede three even if one of them was offside and we were unlucky you shouldn't even concede two and I just think now we're so much stronger in defence that that could make a big difference uh, they've got um, a few good players Pereira is in sparkling form if you haven't seen much of Watford this season uh, do check out his highlights reel he's in wonderful form and they have good players like Ducore etc and um, Holibas who has four assists already but anyway i'm getting ahead of myself all of this shall be previewed in the next episode of cop on let's come back to the present and uh in the present squad have you got any ideas as to where you would like to see our squad improve jamie mm, yes i think it's so great that we've finally got a decent defense together 
Gomez has just been incredible this season. I, I, I also put it all down to, to Virgil van Dijk, and Alisson obviously has a great, a great presence. So a new, a new signing. Ah, oh, that's tricky, isn't it? I suppose if you, if you get an injury to Mane or Firmino or Salah, God forbid. Um, Yes, who who then who then comes in? Maybe somebody. I guess they need to have pace. That seems to be a requisite for today's game. The the last thing that I saw was um, possibly a move for Julian Brandt, who is a winger, young player who Klopp rather likes. So, I mean, I would trust Klopp in whatever whatever he did, and perhaps yeah, perhaps. A, Another speedy winger, just in case anything happened to our to our Fab Three. Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. Yeah, Julian Brandt. He's from uh, Leverkusen, actually. Yeah, I've, I've seen him a couple of times. He's 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 tall. He's uh, twenty two years old. Uh, well, he, I mean, he's six foot one. I mean, it's it's tall for a winger, and uh, he's tricky. And he's I, I think he's a brilliant player. And yeah, I think it's a good point. Yeah, I mean. Back up for our back up for our wingers is a very good idea because uh, if Manny or Sally get injured, we're, we're stuffed. Yes, we're a little bit stuffed. Um, good. Well, uh, we're sort of nearing uh, the the very end. Um, uh, Jamie, I, I want to ask uh, you know your little a little bit about your LFC history. Uh, you don't have a Scouse accent, unlike me. And <laughs> what, what, when, and how did your love for Liverpool start, and how did it develop? Um, well, my my mum is a scouser, um, although she's she's also she's been in Bristol long enough to have kind of lost her her accent, but it's still there. Whenever she speaks to to our family up north, it comes straight back. So it started with her and my uncle, who was a huge fan. Yes, it's, it was 1984, I think, the European final against Roma. My mum let me stay up to watch it, and ever since then, I was hooked, especially on Bruce Grobler, with his wobbly leg, or rather wobbly legs in the penalty shootout. So that game, I watched that game, and I remember watching it on a big old TV set, and it just, yeah, it really blew my mind. So since then, I've followed, I've followed the team, and yeah, there's been some fantastic times, without a doubt. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great story. I mean, yeah, I started about eighty-eight, so I miss. I've only seen videos of the the spaghetti legs, as they called it, of Brucey. And uh, yes, but uh, wonderful stuff, wonderful stuff. And, uh, you know, very quickly, I mean, you have quite an interesting life, don't you? I mean, aside from uh, lots of other things, you used to be a, a cricketer and then you were in some kind of Bollywood movie. Well, I was at Gloucestershire County Cricket Club for three seasons. I kind of went up through the youth ranks and then signed a professional contract, then of course got released because I didn't quite have that killer instinct. Um, and then b 
because of that, I then got a part in a Bollywood movie, of all things. Yeah, I got cast just through chance. They were looking for cricketers who could who could play a bit, and I, I got this part in a Bollywood movie called Lagan, which I would recommend anybody to watch because it's a good one. Even though it's, I think, possibly four hours long, it's as as they are. Um, so that was a rather wonderful experience, yeah. Well, great. And now you're uh, you're playing drums with the the excellent band. This is the Kits, right? Yes. Yeah. Hen- well, hence our kind of introduction. I think I think Kate told me about your your podcast and that you're starting it up and. Um, she said, "Oh, you should you should have a chat with them." And I said, "Oh, that'd be brilliant. Never, never done anything like that before." And I listened to some of your podcasts, and they're fantastic. And um, yeah, absolutely thrilled to be talking to you. And thank you very much for having me. Well, thank you so much to Jamie. It was an absolute pleasure talking to him. Really enjoyed that conversation, and uh, hope to get him back and his mum for future episodes, which. Very much looking forward to. If you would like to be on Cop On Podcast, if you would like to contribute in any way, please contact us, coponpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at Cop On Podcast. My name is Owen. This has been episode 15. Um, lots of love to you, the listener, and only a few more days to go until the big kickoff against Watford. You will never walk alone, my dear loves. Walk on, talk on, cop on.